Good morning. It is great to be back in Wimberley, Texas. I feel like I just did this a few minutes ago. The early service, Scott said, now you've got to let them out by 1030. So uh, you've got to get out of here because this other group is coming in. So I was preaching in the middle of my my sermon, looked up there, and it was 1024, and I said, I'm done. That's it. And so anyway, and that that was the way it was. Let me tell you what's been going on in my neck of the woods. By the way, I'm Stan Weatherford. I'm Scott's older brother. Uh, he's my younger brother. I used to say my little brother, but that's not really accurate. And so uh, anyway, he's flying, so he's not listening to, to this this morning. But anyway, I, now I can say what I want to. The only thing I can say, he must trust me a lot to ask me to come out and preach two consecutive Sundays and him not be here. So I take that as an honor from my little brother to be able to come out and but I, I look so forward to coming out and being with you and my church family in Texas. It's just wonderful. Uh, let me tell you what's been going on in my life a little bit. I'm still director of missions for the Kapai Baptist Association. I've been preaching three times every Sunday. I preach at Highland Baptist Church at 10.30 in the morning, hop in my truck, drive 30 miles south, and preach at Spring Hill Baptist Church at 12.30 to 1.30, and then on the evening, I go back to Highland and preach at night. And by the end of the day, I'm tired. It's been a full day. But let me tell you about Spring Hill Baptist Church. The church got down to four widow women. That was all that was there. And they were doing everything they could to try to keep the doors of the church open. They were having garage sales every second Saturday, just trying to raise money to pay the electricity bill, just trying desperately to keep the church doors open. That church has a special place in my heart because that was the first church I pastored when I was in seminary. And that church put me through seminary. They called me when I was 21 years old to be their pastor. I wasn't much older than the young people that I was called to minister to. And and they literally paid for my seminary education for my Master of Divinity degree. And so that church has meant a lot to me. I have many friends that still are in that community. But the church fell on hard times. They had a split in the church. Several folks left. It was a mess. And so one day, these ladies called me and said, Stan, can you come down here and help us? And so I went down and met with them on a cold day. I mean, it was cold. No heat in the church. Sat down with them. It was so cold in the church that we could see our breath as we were talking to one another. And uh, I told them, okay, here's the deal. I will come and preach if you will accept these conditions. The first one is this. If you'll have church from 1230 to 1:30 on Sunday afternoon, I'll come down here and preach for you. Now, here's the other conditions. You don't pay me anything. I don't want any pay and the, and the other is, you can fire me whenever you want to. And you know, they agreed to those terms. They said, this is a Baptist church dream. We don't have to pay him, and we can run him off. We can fire him anytime we want to. And so the next Sunday, I started. I took my guitar. I led in worship, and uh, there were seven people, seven people there, the four ladies and then some others that kind of trickled in. And uh, we had church that Sunday. I said, you know, I've, I, I need to go to work here. I need to fix this. I need some help. So I called David LeCompte, who is the minister of music or worship 
at First Baptist Church there in Crystal Springs. I said, David, I need a piano player, and I need somebody to lead the singing. And he said, call, uh, call Martha Traxler and call Francis Slay. They're sisters. Francis plays the piano, and Martha has a beautiful voice. So I called Francis, and I said, Francis, this is the deal. I need some help. And so she said, I will be glad to do this. She was thrilled to have an opportunity to serve the Lord in this way. So she came under the same conditions. No pay, you fire me whenever you want to. And so when Martha heard about it, she said, I want to come lead the singing. So all of a sudden, I've got a worship team. And then another lady in the church, Linda, said, I want to be a part of this too, and she's a wonderful musician. I mean, she plays all over the place and a wonderful musician. She said, I want to come to All of a sudden, I got a whole worship team. And so we started out with seven people. Last Sunday, we had 32. Isn't that great? 32. As a matter of fact, I'm going to write a book on church growth. <laughs> the Highway 51 Miracle. This church is located at It, Mississippi. Anybody ever heard of It, Mississippi? Listen, I want to tell you something so funny. I've done two funerals the last two weeks, and uh, the last funeral I did was there at, we buried the individual, both of them, in the cemetery at Spring Hill Baptist Church in It. And so last Sunday, I'm preaching at It, and I'm talking about the four sides of the cross and about the fact that there's an upside, there's a downside, there's a man's side, there's a God's side, and talking about the four sides of the cross, and I was talking about the hope that we have in Christ. And I used the illustration because Miss Inez Wilson had passed away, and I did her funeral, and I'm standing at the graveside to do, you know, to, to, to do the final things at the graveside, and I, I'm stand, standing there, and I'm talking about that in my sermon using it as illustration, and I said, because we know Jesus, we can never have to say, this is it. Then I realized I was standing in it. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. This is it. But that's not it. But anyway, so my life has been fun and interesting and a lot going on. And God has been good through it all. And so today to have this many people here, everybody said, well, everybody's gone. We've got youth gone to camp. We've got folks out 4th of July and all like that. I want to tell you something. This is the largest crowd I've preached to in a long time. So I, I'm right at home. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've come to this conclusion. I don't think that God has ever been impressed with a crowd. But I believe that God is impressed with hearts that are devoted to Him. And if that happens to be in a crowd, that's a wonderful thing. But the more wonder, what is the most wonderful is this is that as individuals, we know Jesus and our hearts are devoted to him. Well, Scott gave me an assigned sermon. And in this uh, series of messages called Uncommon, going through the book of Acts. And today we're at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. He actually sent me all of these sermons a long time ago for the entire year. When I was a pastor, I did the same thing, planned all my sermons a year in advance, and I just worked my sermon calendar. It might change a little bit because there might be a special event or an occurrence that takes place that needs to be addressed. But for the most part, plan sermons. And so he sent me a sermon planning calendar back in December. And he said, now you, you be prepared at, at different times to come in and preach. And so I got this uh, sermon here 
that, that Scott gave to me about uncommon assignment from Acts chapter 6. Well, when I read the text, and I'm familiar with the text, it is the text about the early church selecting the seven men to serve as table waiters to wait on the, the Grecian widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so when I looked at that, I said, wait a minute, and I've preached on this text several times, but I've always done it in the context of deacon selection or deacon ministry in that context. Every year in the churches I pastor, we had deacon selection and all of that, and I've preached on this passage many, a time, many times, but I never thought about it as an uncommon assignment. So a few weeks ago, I sat down at my kitchen table and I started work, working on this message, and I said, Lord, I don't understand how, where Scott is going with this. And so, have you ever thought about trying to get your mind inside the mind of Scott Weatherford? <laughs> I'm telling you, you talk about a challenge now, and, and I'm saying, you know, where is this going? But I said, I am not calling him. I'm going to figure this out. And so I want to share with you what uh, I have figured out about this, but I'm going to read this text first. It's Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And, and what we're going to see here is this, is that God uses extenuating circumstances to give us an uncommon assignment. That God uses extenuating circumstances to give us an uncommon assignment. Now that's what I want you to get, but there are three things that I will say in relation to that. But this is the text. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, that is, of food. And the twelve summons the body of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the, to the faith. Now, when you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that there were a lot of uncommon events that were taking place in the church. For instance, Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what Luke is going to do in Acts, he's going to show us how by the Holy Spirit's power and leadership that happened, how the gospel went from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he's going to show how the Holy Spirit overcomes all the obstacles that are placed in the way. You cannot overpower God. What God wills to do, he will do. And we need to remember that. Our God is an awesome God. And we trust him. And so he, he shows us this uncommon event. 
On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. And it was people from all over the place because on the day of Pentecost, all these Jews who lived all over the world at this time, they would come to Jerusalem for Pentecost because that was such a significant event in their history and in their religious experience. So all these different people from all over, folks from Egypt, folks from Cilicia, all over, all of these people, and they begin to hear the Word of God in their own language. The miracle that took place on the day of Pentecost was not glossolalia or speaking in tongues. It was a miracle of hearing. Everybody heard God's Word in their own language. And guess what? The gospel is a universal language. No matter what the language is, the message is the same, that God loves us, that he sent his only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who died on the cross for our sins. God raised him up to give us life. And if we put our faith in him, we receive the gift of eternal life. It is the same message in any language. And it is always the truth. They heard the message and they received the gospel and they came into an uncommon fellowship called the church. And we read about that in that early church, the fellowship and the love and the goodness and the grace of God that went on early on. Peter preached his second sermon. At his second sermon, 5,000 people came to know the Lord. Now the church has grown from three to 8,000. And then a little bit later in, Mark, in, in Acts chapter 4, Luke tells us, that he preached some more and said multitudes were coming to Christ. I don't know how large his church was, but they were still in the confines of Jerusalem and everything was going on in the confines really of Judaism. Everybody was looking at Christianity maybe as just another sect of Judaism and everybody was still in Jerusalem. When you come to chapter six, you come to a transition in the book of Acts Chapter 6 through 8, build a bridge. Because in that bridge, what you're going to see is this. We have two people that are introduced in this narrative. The first one is Stephen. Next Sunday, I'll preach about Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, and how he stood for the things of God. That's another sermon. But Stephen is introduced here. Then we also have a young man named Saul of Tarsus that is introduced. He's standing there at, at receiving the garments uh, that while Stephen's being stoned. And, and so there's a transition here. And the transition is this, how the gospel is going to move out of Jerusalem and go into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Philip is also introduced here. And so we got a transition point here. Now, what I want you to understand is this, the Bible is not a book of superheroes. Because if it was a book of superheroes, the only thing you would see was the good things and the glorious things that people did. But the Bible is straightforward and the truth. The Bible reveals the good, the bad, and the ugly and everything that was going on. Now, when you get this many people together with that much diversity, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have some problems. You're going to have some issues. We already seen that there was one issue that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church about their giving and God took them out. <laughs> you know, if God still did that, we might not have as many people in church. <laughs> You know, but anyway, we had that problem. And now we've got another problem. And the problem is we've got the Hebrew with us and we've got the Grecian with us. And the Grecian with us feel like they're being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so they, they feel like they have, are being left out 
And the word neglect is used twice here. We're being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And then the apostle said, we, we can't neglect the preaching of the word to wait on tables. And so there was the issue of neglect. Now, in my experience, this is what I found. That the greatest threat to the church any time, I don't care where it's hit Mississippi with four people or 32 people or it's First Baptist Church Wimberley with 500, 700, whatever it is, or whether it's a, a mega church that's got thousands. The biggest issue that faces every church is disunity. Is disunity. And disunity is usually caused by one of two things. Either someone has not gotten his way and is mad about it. Now, that never happens in a Baptist church, does it? Well, I didn't get in my way, so I'm going to take my marbles and I'm going to go home or I'm going to stir up a stink in the church. It's either that or somebody feels like they've been neglected. And most of the time, it's related to those things. Very few times do we have real doctrinal disputes in our churches, but what we do have is stuff like that. Somebody feels like they've been neglected or somebody feels like, well, they overlooked me and I didn't get my way. And so in this church, we see a problem. And the problem is a conflict that exists between the Hebrew widows and the Grecian widows. The Hebrews, the native Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. The others, the Grecians, they were the Jews of the diaspora, and they spoke Greek. And, and so there was a conflict in there. Now, what I want you to understand is this. No one who comes to Christ comes to Christ instantaneously spiritually mature. We have to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to go through the process of spiritual growth. So what happens is this. These folks came to Christ, but they still have enough of their old attitudes and old prejudices within them that it brings conflict into the church. Does that make sense? And so they, they had all of this, and so these folks said, these folks don't like us. We're being neglected in the daily distribution of food, and there was a problem. But what I want you to see is this. Conflict often becomes an opportunity for a new ministry. Conflict often becomes an opportunity for a new ministry. And so that's what I want you to see, is that when God invites us or God gives us an assignment, sometimes that assignment grows out of what appears to be a conflict because there is a need there. And so the disciples, they see this need. This need is obvious. I mean, it's a gripe in the church. It's ongoing. And the, and the apostles, it comes to their attention and say, we've got, we got to do something about this. We've got to address this need. And what I want you to see is this. There is no, pro, no church that does not have issues or problems of some sort. And what I want you to understand and I want you to see is this, that the problems that we have are the points that may be of disunity within the church, if handled properly, can become a great opportunity to join God in what he's doing. And it's a matter of perspective. It's the way we see things that make the difference in the world. For instance, one of my senior adult ladies told me, she said, the other day as a news bulletin came on television said, somebody's going on the interstate the wrong direction. She said, my husband's on the interstate. I need to call him and warn him. She called him and said, honey, I just want you to know that somebody on the interstate going the wrong direction. He said, there's more than one. I've met about a hundred of them. 
So it is a matter of how you see things. And so what I want you to see is there's an opportunity in this conflict. And so what I want you to see is this, is that God is inviting the church to start a new ministry. And it's a ministry of taking care of the needs of these Grecian widows. And so in the process of that, what you see is that when God invites us to join him or he gives us a new assignment, that new assignment must take shape. And I want to use the word shape as an acrostic here to help you understand your shape and what I'm talking about. You see, when we join God in his work, the first thing that we need to see is an S, and that is we must see the need. And, in comp- and, and going along with that is when we see the need, we must seek the Lord. And so this need becomes obvious. There is a need to minister to these Grecian widows and, and to meet them where they are with the love of Christ and to let them know, yes, you too are important and you're significant and we don't want you to be left out. And so what I want you to think about is this. What needs do you see? What needs do you see? What needs do you see in the church here? What needs do you see in this community? What needs do you see in joining maybe a trip to Mexico or to Nicaragua or wherever in the world, to Haiti, wherever? What what do you see? And you see, when you begin to see the need, then God begins to work in your heart. You got to see it and you seek God. Let me tell you about Drew Dilly. Drew is a young lady that's in our association. Her husband is Jess. Jess and Drew Dilly. I told her, I said, boy, when you married, you picked a Dilly, didn't you? And, And she did. She looked at me like, you are so... Anyway, you get the picture. Anyway, So Drew went on a mission trip to Haiti, and she got down to Haiti, and she started ministering to all these little street children, all these little children all around her, and she starts ministering, and she begins to see the need. And she began to see this. She said, you know what? I don't have to go to Haiti to see this need because this need exists right here in Crystal Springs, Mississippi, where I live. We've got three apartment complexes that are full of kids African-American kids, and they don't really have any spiritual influence at all, and they're right here. So this is what she did. She came back from Haiti. She came to my office one day, and she said, God's laid it on my heart to start a ministry to the apartment complexes in Crystal Springs to minister to these African-American children who have no spiritual influence. This is what she did. She, was, she has a master's degree in counseling. She was a public school counselor at the elementary school in Clinton, Mississippi. She resigned her job and stepped out on faith to begin a ministry called Reach One. We got her with, a, with, a, with the North American Mission Board, and the North American Mission Board said, we'll count you as a missionary, but you've got to raise your own support. She started raising support. She started this ministry called Reach One. It's expanded from Crystal Springs to Hazelhurst to Wesson in three locations. Last week, they had Reach One camp, and 14 African-American children came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what I'm talking about. 
So you see the need, and then you hear God's call. You hear God's call. God begins to lay on your heart what he's up to and what he needs to do. And, and he is extending to you an invitation to, to come into a ministry. And, and, you, and God begins to move upon your heart. And you know what God does? God moves your heart before he moves your body. And your heart begins to, it begins to beat with the things of God. I see this need, and, and God begins to direct. And you, you hear it, and then you accept it. You accept that call. And then you prepare for it. I want you to see something in this text. Here's the need, and I want you to see how the, how the apostles handled this. It's amazing. This text could also be preached on how to manage conflict in the church because they did it the right way. They didn't react. They, they did not react. They responded. I have a problem. My problem is this. Too many times I react instead of respond, and when I react, I make a mess out of things. So I'm asking God to help me when something happens to stop and ask myself, well, what's really going on here? Back up a little bit, pray about it, and then respond in a way that will honor God. Now, I'm the only one who has that problem. Aren't you glad? It's a wonderful thing. But I have that problem, and I'm asking God. And so the disciples didn't react. They responded. And, and in the background there, what they did was they saw the need. They sought the Lord. They heard God saying, we've got to meet this need. They responded to say, okay, God, we're going to join with you in what you're doing. And then they prepared the people. They said, listen, it's not good for us to wait on tables. What we need to do we need to select seven men from among us full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to appoint over this task because we can't neglect the preaching of the Word to wait on tables. And guess what? It pleased everybody. It was a good thing. And they selected these seven men to serve as the first deacons in the church. Now, would you permit me for a moment to chase a rabbit? Would that be okay if I, if I just take a few moments and chase a rabbit? I know that my younger brother never chases rabbits. Never. He never, you know, he, he doesn't get out there and forget what he's talking about. You know, in the, anyway, let me chase a rabbit for just a second. This text has been used to say these are the first deacons in the church. A few years ago, I had a director of missions who called me and said, Stan, would you write a paper on deacon ministry? We got a church that's all in conflict over deacons and the role of deacons in the church. And so I agreed to do that. So for about a week there, I got Kittle's New Testament Dictionary of the New Testament. I got my resources. I got my Greek New Testament. And I concentrated and I wrote a paper on deacon ministry. I went through the etymology of the word deacon and I came to the basic etymology of the meaning of the word deacon means to raise the dust. A deacon is a dust raiser. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that he's so eager to serve that he raises the dust in haste to come. And I looked at all these words. I looked at diakonos, diakone, uh, all, all these words for deacon in the New Testament. And I found out that that word is used exclusively in the New Testament with the exception of 1 Timothy chapter 3 that describes the office of a deacon. It is used exclusively and translated exclusively with the word servant. And that's what a deacon is, is a servant. And you know what? We ought to all be deacons. We ought to all be servants of the Lord. 
And so they said, you select from among you some servants who will take care of this. And they did. And the result of that was the need was met. They prepared the people. They selected these seven men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. They appointed them over this task, and then they engaged in ministry. Shape. <laughs> they engaged in ministry. And as a result of that, the conflict was over and the need was met. Now, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to you? How does that apply to me? It applies like this. When you see a need, don't stand around and gripe about it. When you see a potential conflict, don't add to it by throwing gas on the fire. When you see a need and you see this, see this need or conflict not as a conflict, but as an opportunity to begin a new ministry to meet people where they are with the gospel. Does that make sense? So when you look at this and God says, hey, I've got a new assignment for you, sometimes that new assignment comes out of something difficult and God's using that difficulty to open a whole new area of ministry. It's a matter of how we look at it, you know? You might be going up the interstate the wrong way. <laughs> but you need to look at it and say, okay. Now, what's the result? The result is this. An incredible, uncommon result. Because they handle this in the right way, they move forward, and guess what? Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God increased. And even some priests were coming to know the Lord. Let me remind you, it's a great day in our spiritual life when we make this discovery. It is no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about what I will. It is no longer about me. I am not the center of the universe, and Jesus doesn't gravitate around me. It is a wonderful day when we finally come to the place and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about your will, your way, and I will do whatever you call me to do. And I will simply serve you in the place where you call me because what's most important is this. People need the Lord. And you minister to people and you meet them where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what happened. And listen, even some priests came to Christ. Talk about an uncommon result. They became obedient to the faith. Now, what I've shared with you, has it made sense? Do you see it? Do you see some needs in your church? Do you see some areas that maybe some things might be neglected? you see an opportunity? Then get in shape. Get in shape. And step out in faith and meet the need so that the gospel may continue to go forth because people need the Lord.